Hi folks, Pete Fagan here with Keith Barnfather, director and producer of Sill and the Devil Seeds of Eridor, starring Nabil Shaban in the title role, reprising a character created by writer Philip Martin, originally for Doctor Who. Hey Keith. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm surviving, Pete. I'm surviving. How's your schedule? It's really difficult at the moment because we're, I mean, the, the, the production itself has been finished for um, uh, over a, over six weeks, but there's always the, I mean, what people to a degree don't understand with a, a small company, small production company like ourselves, um, there's, there's pre-production, post-production, well, pre-production, production, post-production, and then there's the whole marketing and distribution, which you know, can stretch this kind of thing on to nearly a year. And also you need to get the word out there, you know, I mean, there's, there's no point making something. Right. Especially when you need to, to break even, at least. Um, mm -hmm. If you can't get the word out there for people to know that it's there and hopefully buy it. So it's just major press and marketing now? As much as we can afford to do, yes. We get, we're given a great deal of help by the distribution company, Kosh. They have their own uh, PR company, Witchfinder, and, and they do everything they can to help us with, with a very small budget. As some of your listeners uh, will know, Real Time's been around a long time, um, and we've been doing spin-off dramas the very first one was in about 1987. So we're always, or every once in a while, we'll come back to to doing dramas. We can't do them all the time for the reasons I've already explained to you that the time involved in doing it. But um, I had already got two productions um, in the pipe over the long term. Um, but because of the series of interview DVDs that Kosh are releasing called The Doctors, we needed to do new mythmakers to make up numbers to finish those that series of DVDs off. Um, when I started them, I had all the interviews, say, for John Pertwee or Patrick Troughton. But when we came to near the end and we were doing um, Paul McGann um, and uh, some of the others, we were finding that we had gaps that we needed to fill. And... I needed to do some more, uh, more inverted commas, monsters um, to do a second volume of monsters. And obviously Nabil was one of the names that sprung straight to mind. So um, I approached him and he agreed to do a Myth Makers. And I went to meet him at his country house retreat in the middle of nowhere. I uh, spent a couple of days, idyllic days there with him and his wife, Marcella. And while we were chatting, I was just thinking, I'd love to work with this guy. You know, he's such... A, a, a magnetic personality. I had a great chat with him earlier. He was really avid. It was just, it's, it's always a delight to hear an enthusiast. Yes, and, and, and Nabil is an eternal child. I mean, one of the, one of the things I, I liked most about him when I first met him a couple of years ago was his constant enthusiasm for life. Yeah. I think Nabil is still, and I'm sure he wouldn't take that badly. And, and my mind went to, oh, of course, Sill, we're lovely to use Sill, but of course, be, oh, hang on, no, Philip Martin owns the rights to Sill, who I knew and had already interviewed for Mythmakers. So I, I just said on the off chance to Nabil, you know, if, if there was a chance of doing this, would you be interested? And he, ju he just said immediately, straight away, yes, I'd love to do it. And it just all sprung from there. I approached Philip Martin, he was... He was wonderfully supportive and has been all the way through. Um, and it just went from there. Prior to talking to Nabil, I only knew them through value-added material. But they just seemed really engaged with this particular text. Well, 
it's difficult. I mean, you know, you people people in our business when they do things because they want to do them there's a special atmosphere you you know obviously we all need to earn a living and we all do things that we get paid reasonably or hopefully well for but projects like this you don't do for the money you do it because you want to do it everybody involved knew that all right everybody was paid everybody has gone home with a with a with a payment but nothing like the amount that they would be paid for broadcast television you know, they did it because they wanted to do it, um, and that creates a very special atmosphere. It always does, um, and I can say that it has been one of the most enjoyable productions I've ever worked on. I wanted to switch a little bit into maybe um, now that we have the background about you know it coming together and things. Um, I'm a little bit curious about story directions that this took as it came together. You know, kind kind of the ideological background for it I work quite closely with um, uh, with Philip Martin on that not the writing per se but what we could do with the money that we had and what rights we were we were able to use um, it took Philip a little bit of time to get his head around it not being Doctor Who and not having the doctor in it um, nice. but once he got that in his head in fact he, he I think he found it more enjoyable and more challenging um, bringing Syl to the center of the drama you know to being the central character um, we we initially had it set on a space station um, but we realized that that would be more challenging than trying to uh, have the look of a, of a, uh, a moon base um, also there were there were tie-ins with Doctor Who I mean there are no there are no obvious, oh yes, that's that kind of thing. But there are little tropes, little you know moments where the time that this is set, we've tried to fit it in with the Doctor Who timeline around that time so that it fits. Uh, for example, there is a there is a penal colony on the moon in Frontier in Space, I think it is. Um, and that's close to this time, so we were we were aware of making that work, shall we say, that that this could have been a development from that, or vice versa. Um, lots of little things that that came along and changed the story as we went along organically. Um, casting wise, I mean, obviously um, there was the, the lead was already there. Um, the other cast members, it, it it's always a question when you're you know when you are basically asking people to to work you know a reduced rate um, you can't expect people to commit totally so as we went along a few people had to drop out who were we were hoping could do it and a few people came in um, as things went along you know to to sort of fill those spaces but there was never a, a first choice second choice it was just a sort of group of people that I was talking to as I went along um, initially, Christopher Ryan wasn't going to play him because Philip Martin really liked the idea of of playing him himself. But but Philip got ill. Um, he's now a lot better, but he was ill when we were approaching the shooting. Um, and because I don't want to sort of do too many spoilers here, but because the character of of Kiv is now inside the person, the personality of Kiv is now inside a human body in this story. What we thought would be wonderful when when Philip said he couldn't do it was to ask Christopher Ryan to play the part. Christopher Ryan playing Kiv again 
but actually as Christopher Ryan rather than encased in uh, in a costume. And that was serendipity. I think even in the end, even Philip would say that it's actually come out really well that we did it that way. Um, I mean, I think the cast generally of you know excellent actors, and and I think. Uh, from the point of view of the, the the acting and the delivery of the script and the drama of the script, I think it's come out really, really well. I think that turned out to be a nice surprise because Christopher Ryan is so distinctive. When you bring him onto the set and he starts performing Kiv, it's Kiv. Yeah, yeah. We had the rehearsal um, about... Uh, four days before the shoot uh, we did a read through read rehearse you know which was lovely to be able to actually do that um you don't often get that in this business a lot of the time these days you know you know in drama you just turn up on set and rehearse record but we did have the the joy of doing a read through with the with most of the cast um and i'd said to christopher you know maybe in my in my naive way i said to him maybe you should watch um, mind warp again because he said oh i haven't seen it for so long i don't i don't really don't think i've ever watched it and I said, maybe you should, you know, you should watch it just to just to get your character back, you know, just to make sure you know where you are with him. And he never got a chance to do it. <laughs> um, and we were at the read through and we started and he came, he comes in, at, you know, at the end of episode one. Um, and he he just said a couple of words, a few sentences, and we all just looked at each other and went, well, there's Kiv. And I just <laughs> said to him, forget about it. Don't watch the episode. You've nailed it. You know, fantastic. This is this is a standout cast for God's sake, but he is an incredibly good actor. Yeah, absolute quality on there. The sets are good too. I mean, everyone—it's it, got this interesting feel between the classic series and the new series. I thought. Yeah, it's intentional. I mean, I'm I'm glad you you feel that. We, I mean, Phil Phil uh, Newman, the designer, costume and set designer, has done an utterly incredible job with the money that we had to do this and the space that we had to do it in. Um, you know, it, it was a very small studio. My biggest fear was not being able to make it look big enough. Um, not only did he, he did he manage to design a set that could fit tightly within the boundaries of the studio, but he really fulfilled the brief that I gave him for what I was looking for. Um, it, it, in fact, he, he probably did more than I could have imagined that was possible. Um, uh, I'm, I'm utterly in awe of him actually I think he, he's done an incredible job with the design of the, the, the look of it is a marvellous as you say a marvellous mixture of classic Who uh, and to a degree new Who I, I mean probably labelling it that way is a bad idea but mm. it, does, it does have a lovely, a lovely duality to it in addition to the kind of warm colours and you know, nice detail that we get in an HD production um, there are a couple of details. One of them I noticed immediately, which were, of course, the um, triangular pattern on the walls yeah. that a couple of classic Who designs have. That particular vac form, as we all say in the business, um, was actually designed, I can't remember the man's name, he, he designed it for Doctor Who. It's based on the Skylab, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he designed it for Doctor Who. Um, but what he also did was he, um, he he made it available to vacform companies. I'm not quite sure whether he licensed it, sold them the right, I don't know. But you can still get that vacform, and Phil knew that. So he asked me, would you would you mind for those walls that um, 
are going to be slightly um, not central, but are going to be ones like corridors and things. Would you mind if we use this? Because you know, it's it's a wonderful nod to the past, but will still look good today. And of course, I agreed straight away. I think it, I think it's lovely for for those. For, I mean, for people who are watching it who are not fans, and hopefully there will be some, or are new Who fans, perhaps they will they won't notice it. It'll just be a nice set design. But for those of us that come from the the the, the Pertwee and the Baker era of Doc. To who. It's that lovely little nod that does nothing to detract from the drama, but just gives you a smile. Something I recently noticed as well. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the set because I want to talk about some of the supporting cast. But um, there's a lot going on in it as well. It is multi-layered. There's this bit of moon rock at the bottom of the walls. Oh, very well spotted. Yeah. Um, what you'll notice is that. Um, the the idea behind this, I mean, this is exhaustive, to be honest. We could talk for hours about it. But what we wanted to do was give the impression that the moon base had been dug into the moon. Um, so rather than, you know, like uh, Space 1999, where it just sat above it, what we wanted to do was uh, give the impression that the lower levels had been dug into the moon and then the monolithic upper levels had been placed on top. So the idea in it, and I don't think this is a problem for anybody to hear in advance of seeing it, but the cell is in the base of the base, the bottom of the uh, uh, the detention center part of the base, and dug into the moon rock. So there's a an element of rock around the walls where you know it's still there and hasn't been removed. Um, whereas in the uh, courtroom, you're on the level above, uh, and therefore there isn't any rock. Now you know this this is a a little little thing you can do when you're changing your set around that doesn't cost too much but is a little nod if people don't see it subliminally they notice that something's different all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go up a level now let's, let's, let's talk some people john michael rook and jim conway they play the two guards is it monk and peterson correct yeah they're as good as everyone in this but let's go back the other way first um so you've got janet henfrey playing the adjudicator i think yeah and Mistress Na, of course, Sophie Aldred, playing that. I've heard of her. And um, Shakuntula Ramani as the prosecuting counsel. Yep, Lania. And um, is, that her, is that her brother who's also in this? It's her son, but she would love the fact that you thought it was her brother. <laughs> You're welcome. In, the, in, the, in this sort of making of vein, maybe you could talk a little bit about how they got involved. Um, well, there's not really a lot to tell. Um, the, there was a point when, I mean, Jim Jim Conway I, I've known for a long time. Uh, he's a friend. And he actually did a little bit of work for us on um, White Witch of Devil's End. He played one of the characters in all the cutaway shots for that. Gotcha. Um, when the chance came to um, actually uh, use him in a, a more lead role, uh, I jumped at it it was a possibility of uh, using him and giving him a chance to act. John John Michael Rook, I had not been in touch with before, but I had uh, knowledge of him. Yeah. Um, I actually say this in the making of, so. Um, is what, I, what I always found irritating, or not irritating, is just, just didn't sit well um, in, in a lot of classic 70s and 80s drama, um, was the guard at the back or the uh, clerk on the table or whatever, um, they had a part, but they had, it was non-speaking or that they only had a couple of lines. And normally they were people who really didn't know how to act. Um, you know, and that's not trying to be rude about supporting artists, but acting is a, obviously a discipline. And if you're not experienced, you're not going to be able to deliver lines well. 
Um, what I wanted with this was because all of the characters have a, a role to play, although um, you know some have a less of a role than others, they are all important. Mm. One bad actor in the production would have ruined the production for all of us. So. I wanted actors who could act. I also, because we couldn't have a week's rehearsal in, the, in a you know rehearsal room, I wanted to get actors who knew each other. Now John and Jim know, know each other; they've known each other for years, so they they were on song before we even got into the studio. Um, obviously, Christopher and Bill knew each other, so I knew they were all right. And luckily, and this is how it sort of came about: when we were getting close to needing to decide the the cast. Um, I, I talked to Sophie, um, and Sophie knows both Shakuntala and um, Janet, and she suggested both of them. So it, the dynamic worked out perfectly. Although we all came together and a lot of us hadn't worked together, a lot of us knew others in the group. So it, it, it meant we, although we had a slow first day, because you always do, it meant we landed on our feet. And I think that was one of the reasons why the production has such a great feel about it. The character of Mistress Na, played by Sophie Aldred, what's your kind of take on the development of that character? Well, um, for those who don't know, uh, Mistress Na first appears in Antidote to Oblivion, in a very small part in that. Um, so Philip is basically bringing a character from a previous story. Uh, we tried. We didn't feel we needed to put everything that we didn't need to completely nod to that. You didn't want to steep it in continuity. Yeah, exactly. Didn't want to break continuity, but at the same time, didn't want to feel a slave to it. Um, now, in in the novelization of Sil and the Devil Seeds of Arador, Philip has actually expanded the background to. Uh, Mistress Nar, actually in a way that I didn't realise when we when we made it. But luckily, <laughs> um, and it is luckily, I won't lie, that, that we all had it planned, um, it fits in quite nicely with the, the, the image that I had of her and the one that I communicated to Sophie. Nice. Um, Mistress Nar is a smidge of an enigma, and that's intentional. Um, she obviously isn't um, the same race as Syl and Kiv, but there's something about her that makes you think that there's some kind of connection. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that because it isn't. It is part of the story that you don't quite know. But if you it, and it sounds like a plug for the book, and by God, it is. <laughs> if you buy the book and read the book, you'll get a a, a much wider um, understanding of her part, her character, and and it it, it it's. Although technically in this production, uh, Mistress Nar is a supporting character, um, there is a very interesting possibility that she could be used for something else in the future. I remember in 1989 seeing Janet Henfrey for the first time in The Singing Detective and was just floored by the power that was coming off of her in that. And her role in The Curse of Fenric, the Doctor Who serial. But here, she's able to put through something gentler. Um, this is a really nice opportunity for a very grounded character to show itself. What can you say about Janet? I mean, you know, a, an incredibly experienced actress. Um, I mean, she did actually, sadly, come to the shoot with a, a very bad toothache. Um, and she was on antibiotics. So the first day of recording, she was struggling. But she's such a professional that, that she got through it. Um, 
her her part out of all of the parts, and and it shows how good an actress she is. Her part out of all of them was the was the one that was the cipher in a way. I mean, you know, she's there to judge, mm -hmm. and and that's essentially all that she can. Um, you know, it's not like she's Larnier. Larnier is 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 on a mission. Um, Nar is the underhanded operative. You know, uh, every every other character you you've got a bit to play with, but in a way, it the the character of the adjudicator is is the pivotal one that is just making the decisions. And I thought she managed to layer that very very well. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, I'm I mean you. I don't believe in directing actors unless there's an absolute necessity to do so. You know, you're employing them because they are actors mm. and they are more than capable of reading a script and understanding it. If an actor comes to you and says, what about this, what about this? And, and Janet and I did actually talk about the character quite a lot and the problem of her just being, a, a, you know, a cipher rather than a, a developed character. Mm. Um and and we worked it through, and and I again I think her performance is utterly incredible. I mean I just I I'm so pleased about the acting, uh, the script and the acting. I'll leave other people to decide about the directing, but I think as far as the, the acting and the the script is concerned, I'm I'm really delighted with it. I I think it's a great piece. I think what you said about the challenge of Janet's character that's something that hadn't jumped out at me but you're quite right you you have to believe what happens when she does it but she is kind of in the background in terms of everything else that's going on she's the pivot but unfortunately she doesn't have a motivation other than the job that she's got to do prosecutor Lardier Shakuntala's role she pitched it in this way that because of the criminal proceedings that are happening, I don't know if that's even saying too much, um, she has pathos, but she also has to not fall into, you know, roles we've seen time and time again where characters do that, and I think she gets away with it. I think, I think if, if you're looking at um, a complete piece, you know, you can't... Uh, okay, I'll put it another way. Um, the star of this show is Nabil Shaban. Mm. We all knew that when we were coming into it. So all the other actors, because they're utter pros, all of them, knew that what they were trying to do was support Nabil. And they all gave their performances in a way that would um, balance against what was out of necessity Nabil's over-the-top performance. Now, that sounds like I'm being rude, but no, I'm no. not. I mean, obviously... Sill is Sill, and you can't have Sill sitting there drinking a cup of tea, chatting away like he's at a tea party. It's not Sill. Sill is Sill. Sill is an extreme personality. So the other actors needed to weave their performances around that. And also, you know, you've got a position where Larnier is there for her own reasons. But she's also there in an official capacity. So in a way, she's also got a conflict, which is why, I mean, some of the other parts are easier to play. When you have conflict in a character, it's an easy, an easy part, easier, more interesting plot, part to play. Um, and Shakuntala, I, you know, another, I mean, I could just sit here and give you superlatives all day. Another great actress who, who delivered. What I'm, I'm proud of for many different reasons for the, with this production it's not often you can make um, um, a drama with an anti-hero that works. It, it's kind of like this 
um, calorie-free pleasure of watching Sill and wondering how he's going to get out of it. Um, it's that lovable rogue kind of thing that you need to balance. I mean, ultimately, this all comes down to Philip's script. All the act when we when they got the script, everybody came back and said, "What a great script!" Because it's a Philip Martin script has a lot of um, current social comment in it, which I don't think either you or I want to go into. Possibly, this might be a point to segue into some more monsters besides Sill. The Doctor's More Monsters is right on the heels of The Devil's Seeds of Eridor. It's basically a complimentary release because it, it just fitted that we got, well, because we actually did, uh, as I explained to you earlier, we did Nabil's Myth Makers and then went into production on this. Um, it was there, and, and this is nearing the end of our releases of The Doctor's DVDs. Um, but it seemed obvious to me, if we're releasing Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arador, it would be perfect timing as a complementary to have the Doctor's More Monsters coming out at the same time, which has Nabil's Myth Makers together with Christopher Ryan's Myth Makers and four other ones. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, these are a, a series of double DVD compilations of our Myth Makers series, which, we, um, which are being sold through a company called Kosh. So you get six interviews on each DVD, which is available through Amazon and through our own site, timetraveltv.com. Uh, I have to say, great value um, and, and a really nice part work. I mean, there'll be 13 titles. They finish in June next year. Um, and it, it, for me, it's uh, almost like a part work of my life. Yeah. These discs have a massive running time. It's loads of lovely stuff. Um, obviously, when, you, when I started doing them way back when in 1984 with an interview with uh, Michael Wisher and John Leeson, um, I, I, I knew what I was doing and I knew that this was something I wanted to do, but I had no real... I had no real awareness of the of the importance of it in a way. I mean, it's um, it there can't be another television program in the world that has been so catalogued in this way. Um, and I think one day, you know, these interviews, not necessarily just mine, but anything that's been done related to who, will be the kind of thing that scholars will look back on when they're looking at the production of television in the in the 20th and early 21st century, because it, it nothing has ever been catalogued quite as extensively as Doctor Who. The set includes Stephen Thorne, who I think we just lost. Yeah, sadly. Yes, I mean, we interviewed Stephen last year at um, a Hoover's event in Derby, um, and it only just I'd only just got round to editing it and putting it out and in fact I have to say it was a little bit of a it was difficult and very emotional speaking to his wife which was shortly after he'd passed away to go over and, and ask to see photographs and get photographs for the for the myth makers um, yeah. uh, it, it was tough and, and it was quite emotional um, but I'm just grateful that we actually did get the interview done before he passed away. I mean, there are people who I wish I had done, like Kate O'Mara. Oh. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. What can you do? John Davies in there too, right? Yes, he is. Yes. Terry Malloy's in there and also, um, oh dear, I've forgotten his name now. Yes, yeah, Stuart Fell and Stuart Fell. Recording these interviews, um, is there anything in them that jumps to mind when you think of this set? Christopher Ryan and uh, Nabil Shaban, what we did with um, theirs is, I, as I said, I interviewed Nabil at his home in the country. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I did it on my own. Sometimes financially we can't afford to take an interviewer to every every interview. So we then have to record questions either as links by somebody else or or do something with Nick. Um, and what what just came to mind is because we were doing Christopher Ryan's Myth Makers, we did it in a studio in South London. At the same time as doing his Myth Makers, which, which uh, Robert Dick did the interview, um, we then got Chris to do the links to go into Nabil's Myth Makers. Oh. So it, 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 you know, it just gave a nice feeling of continuity between the two of them. So Kiv is called Sill onto the carpet. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah, I mean, well, we Phil Newman actually has the original Kiv costume from Doctor Who. So we had that in the back of the shot while we were interviewing Chris, which was lovely. All right, so the release date for Sill and the Devil Seeds of Eridor. The release date is on Monday the 4th. Uh, in America, it's the following week, I think the 13th. Um, I'll, I'll run through this and um, forgive me Pete. Um, in, the, in the UK you can get it from our own website www.timetraveltv.com you can download, stream or buy the DVD or the Blu-ray. Um, in America uh, and you can get it on Amazon here as well and Galaxy 4. In America you can buy it from deepdiscount.com and you can also get it from amazon.com in America. So to all American fans who hear this, you can actually buy it in America now in, in, in American format. So please everybody, support your micro production company and please buy a copy. And those that torrent and, and do this kind of thing, please don't do it. You know, we're not a big company. Every penny we earn goes back into the next production we do. So if you're a fan and you want these things to be made, help us and buy a copy. I would be very grateful. We've actually got a, a bit of a tour going on. Um, I'm, I'm at SFWX. I'll put the link up on the... Ah, bless you. Okay. Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week up at Great Yarmouth, which I, I've never done before. David Howe and Sam Stone are, are there as well. Um, and uh, Sophie's there. Um, so anybody who's coming to that, will, there will, that will be the first place to actually buy copies of, uh, of Seal. I'll have them there. And then I'm coming, rushing down Sunday morning to be in London for the official gala screening of Sill at the Rudolf Steiner House, which has been organised by Cygnus Alpha. That has just got everything if anybody hasn't thought to come yet or hasn't committed to it, because we've got the entire cast together probably for the only time plus a props display, autographs, photographs. The chance of getting a, a group photograph with Nabil, Chris, Sil, and Kiv. How often are you ever going to get that chance again? That's on Sunday, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, then on Friday next week, on the 8th, um, I'm up at Derby. We've got another screening, this time at an actual cinema in Derby, I think 7.30. Sophie, Philip Martin... Myself and Nabil will be there to do a Q&A. I think then, <laughs> the last thing I've got with it is on the 1st of December at um, Stars of Time in Western Supermare, which Chris, Orion and Sophie will be at as well. So if anybody can come to any of those events, please do. I'll be there. I'll chat to anybody. I'm a prostitute. I'll do anything to sell DVDs. And <laughs> I just had a really great time sneaking a peek at this. It's really a good thing. It plays to all its strengths and... It rewards repeat viewing. Yes, I agree. 
Yes. Absolutely. And um, presumably the Doctor's More Monsters will be available through some of the same channels, yeah? Yes. I mean, I will have it with me at every event. And from Monday, it can be ordered. Well, in fact, you can pre-order anything from Amazon now, anywhere in the world now. Both America and Britain now stock um, and deep discounts stock it as well. So, you know, yes, you can get all of these titles and I will have them all with me at every one of these signings. Fantastic. I really appreciate you taking time out to go over this because um, it's just fun and I wanted the making of immediately. And so this is my sneak preview of the making of. <laughs> oh, well, what can I say? Um, you know, the making of material is a big stack of behind the scenes stuff on the Blu-ray and the DVD and the downloads, which we always do. We always try and give good value for money. So, uh, yeah, everybody out there, when you've seen it, let me know what you think. You know I'm on Facebook, Keith Barnfather, so I'm really always interested in hearing what people say. If you don't like it, tell me. I can live with it. <laughs> Thanks very much, Keith. It's been great. All right, mate. Cheers. Thank you.